Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Uh, this week, I mean, what can I say about this week's episode? Um, I'm going to sit down, talk with semi-rads Brendan Leonard. Dude, I am just such a huge fan of of his work, of his comics, of his drawings, uh, his writing. He's just an incredible writer. He really gets at the heart of adventure and what you learn from adventure and how it applies to your life. Uh, and he's hilarious, um, super creative. And recently he wrote this book called I Hate Running and You Can Too. Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I say it was probably one of the best books uh, about really what is the deep down like core of what we gain from being a runner. Uh, the subtitle on it is how to get started, keep going and make sense of an irrational passion. Uh, it just nails it, dude. If you haven't read the book, like stop this podcast immediately, go get the book, read it. It's amazing. Or, or listen to the podcast and then do all those things. That's also cool. But, but you will love it. Seriously. If you're, even if you're not a runner, like there's just so many things that are applicable to any passion that you may have or, or anything that you do in your life. It's almost like a philosophy book, um, that uses running kind of as like a frame, but, uh, it really just hits that what what do you find when you go do things that are difficult or do things that are hard and how do you keep going and how do you strive to to just be consistent and keep at it when it's not fun you know like there are many moments for of running where it's just not it's not a blast there are moments that are just mind-blowingly amazing but most of the time you're doing it and it's just something you do and you might be sore and it might be 4:30 in the morning and dark out and cold and you know it's not a hobby that is enjoyable 100% of the time and Brennan gets at like why do we keep doing it um what do we find through just enduring um which is really cool plus he's like hilarious he's an amazing dude we talk about all sorts of things in this one uh, everything from film festivals, adventure movies, uh, and why they're bonkers. A lot of the, uh, like Hollywood adventure movies, um, to, he will horrify you with rattlesnake stories and snake stories that will give you nightmares. Um, but then he'll also just hit home at what, what he's found through running, what he's found through being a writer, being someone who's creative. Um, this is an awesome episode. Check out all this stuff at semirad.com. Uh, let's get right into it. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 256 with Brendan Leonard. Oh, whoa. Did it just do that for you? Yeah. It's never, never done that for me before. I'm going to click continue unless you're, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> that creeped me out. It was like, yeah. So, okay, sweet. Um, it's recording video too. Does that, or yeah, whatever, who cares? Okay. Like, we'll yeah. do audio. I'll put it out there as audio. So yeah. if you have to pick okay. your nose, like go yeah, for I'm, it, man. I'll just, I'll just go for it. Yeah. Dude, Thanks. as a, once again, as the seventh grade teacher, the amount of kids who picked their nose on zoom this year was pretty incredible. <laughs> wow and you can see them all too so you don't just, even like you just it's not even them. like they're hiding behind someone in class you know no no right. and well you know you feel bad because they're like in their house by themselves so it's like yeah. no one's around they're just like i got i got a booger up there I'm i might gonna as well do this I might as well take this opportunity right now you know <laughs> that's great um but yeah man anyways sorry we can get started uh all right, ladies and gents, this week I am, dude, I am so excited to have you on the show, Brendan. Um, I interviewed you and Jason after How to Run 100 Miles came out, and that was a blast. Like, I loved talking with you guys because um, that still is one of the top ultra running adventure films, in my opinion. Um, but I didn't realize that you had, you were a writer and you wrote semi rad. So after I interviewed you guys, I went, I'm like, oh, what is this semi-rad thing? And I looked it up 
and then became like a huge fan. So I was like, Thanks. yeah, this, I was like, man, this would be like, if, you know, like LeBron came to your house and you just talked about like tennis or something. And then you're like, holy crap, you're, you're amazing at this. So <laughs> yeah, I'm flattered, but yeah, I think, I think you're maybe off base there. I don't get compared to LeBron very often. Um, yeah. I get mistaken for him at like, you know, out in public a lot for sure. <laughs> Similar height. Yeah, Obviously. Yeah. yeah. Just also just constantly dunking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ability to dunk. But, but yeah, man, well, welcome to the show, dude. Um, I want to talk, I have a bunch of things I would like to talk to you about. Um, and I know you've been on like a billion running podcasts since uh, your most recent book came out. Um, so thank you for, for joining me on this one. Oh yeah. It's fun. I mean, come on. They're all different too, you know? Yeah. And, and if they weren't, there'd be no market for, for them. Actually, I don't know if there's a market for a lot of them anyway, but yeah. There's no, not spoiler alert. <laughs> <I'm psyched. laughs> You're not retiring. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, I am sitting on a beach right now. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude, I think, so I, I can't remember. So you'd also kind of co-host a podcast called out off the couch, right? Yeah. Every couple of weeks. I thought I heard you guys on that. Maybe it was on that show. And at one point you guys were talking about like renting a movie theater to watch the movie heat. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, um, my wife did that for my 40th birthday a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, we rented the Alamo draft house in Sloan's Lake there. Um, which is the way to go. If you're going to rent out a movie theater, um, I don't think we communicated to our friends that we had like a minimum food buy. And I like a lot, I looked over and a lot of them were like eating like popcorn or nothing. And I was like, no, 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 get like sandwiches, get beer, like, you know, whatever. Um, so, but yeah, we, we did it again for my 41st, but did it at the C film center, uh, by tattered cover on Colfax and watched enter the dragon, uh, the Bruce Lee movie. Um, so, I mean, it's, that's an awesome way to get your friends together for sure. Like get 25 people in a movie theater. It's pretty rad. That's dude. Okay. So I have to ask you this to start then. And I can't remember if you guys were talking about this and I just, just ripped off your question and asked all of my friends and um, over the last few weeks. But if you had to do like a three movie, like Brendan Leonard film festival, like, do you know what those three movies would be? Like all your friends are showing up. They're going to be there all day. What, what oh, movies are you showing them? I have put thought into this like over and I'm just like looking for the location and the date and seeing if it's actually feasible. But like my friend Sid, who's in our film too and lives in Denver, um, he's a big movie buff as well. I go to a lot of movies with him and he and I have talked about doing like the car chase film festival and the heist film festival. And then like films, oh, the escape film festival was another one. Um, with like the great escape and you know, like films where people are trying to get out of someplace. You can do the disaster movie film festival. I mean, you can just go on and on and on and make it like a yearly thing. And, you know, um, and I would do even specific actors, you know, I would do like Tom Hanks, Charlize Theron. Uh, I mean, yeah, you could go, you could go on and on and on. It'd be so fun. Um, so yeah, I have put a lot of thought into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's not organized around a theme, I would just say my top three movies are probably Do the Right Thing, Heat. I'm not, I'm not in man. Maybe Mad Max Fury Road is in my top three, actually. I'm Dude, not sure. I started that movie, and in the first five minutes, I wanted to turn it off because the one guy looks like a Power Ranger. Like the bad guy in it kind of looked oh, like yeah. a bad guy in Power Rangers. And I was like, this is dumb. And then after like three minutes, though, I'm like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Whoa, it's, my initial reactions were way off. It's the greatest, two of the greatest car chase scenes in the history of Hollywood with like a short intermission, you know. <laughs> Jason and I actually went to see that in the theater. And we, I think we didn't realize that you could pick out seats online beforehand. So, and this is just when it came out and we got... You know how they got like three rows of seats at the AMC theaters, like right up front. And like yeah. the first two, you definitely don't want to sit in. The third one is kind of like borderline, like too close. That's where we were for that film. So <laughs> you can recline the seats, but you just couldn't get, it was just like, 
you were just getting blasted the whole time. And we walked out of there and we were walking up, um, what street was that? I think we were walking up 16th, 16th or 17th Avenue in Denver. And I remember we're staying at a stoplight, just kind of trying to process it. And a car revved its engine, like, <laughs> like to take off from like a couple blocks away. And, and I just like jumped, like, like it was going to hit us, you know? Um, and I went back and saw it. And I think the only, I went back and saw it with my wife. Cause I was like, this is the greatest feminist movie of all time. We have to go see it. You know, <laughs> surprise feminist movie. And uh, we ended up, I think the only screening we could get was 3D. So I just got served by Mad Max Fury Road in the theater twice, you know, um, which was amazing. Uh, and I still, I've watched that. I've watched it multiple times. Um, yeah, they, they played it at the ballpark here last summer and we went and watched it, um, which is a little far from the screen, but uh, it was pretty great. So, that's, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Have you thought about like, I mean, so you write a lot about adventure and in all aspects and stuff. Have you thought about like adventure movie? Like if you had to do like adventure movie film festival? Oh man, there's already, there's so many people doing great ones already. And I have been to, I bet I've been to a couple dozen different adventure film festivals around the world. So I don't think I could do a better job. Um, I would be like, yeah, just go to mountain film or Banff. Oh no. I mean like if you had to do like Hollywood movies that were like quote unquote, like outdoorsy. Oh no, they're awful. They're always awful. (laughs) Like with the exception of probably like wild, I think they're almost to a rule. They're just like not good movies. Like vertical limit. We've gotten friends together just to watch that and make fun of it because it's so, um, but it's just so, incorrect as far as how things work when you're climbing yeah um and mountaineering and i imagine if you are a cop or um have been a member of the military when you watch films about those things you're probably like oh my god i can't believe they're acting like this is real there's no way anyone would ever do that in a (laughs) real situation you know um so yeah vertical limits pretty awful um i yeah, have they're, they're, my they're favorite one my favorite like aspen extreme k2 <laughs> i've never heard of aspen extreme but i'm gonna oh, write boy. that down yeah hot dog um, um ski patrol yeah <laughs> um it's so this is a long story but i'll keep it kind of short my coworker's husband retired last year and and she's still working so she's like i came home she's like i've come home like a few times like three or four times in the last two weeks and he's sitting there watching the movie the edge with alec baldwin and anthony hopkins and i've I'm like, seen that yeah where just like a wolf is just chasing them out it's of a bear. Is it a wolf or it's a, bear? No, it's a bear yeah and yeah like this is not how bears work man <laughs> you know like okay yeah sorry go ahead well the i watched it and i'm like the funniest part of the whole movie is alec baldwin says anthony hopkins character's name like over a hundred times and but they're the only two people in the wild so it'd be like if me and you were stuck in the wilderness together and every sentence i started with brendan 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 yeah exactly like Like, who who else are you you talking to (laughs) the bear yeah you know what else it's like that movie when i saw that it was such a it was such a cliche of, you know, the black guy is going to die first. And yeah. it was just like, this guy is not a famous actor. I forget who it is. And it's, it's the dude like, from lost. It's uh, Michael from lost. Yeah. If you ever watched it. I yeah. Know. And you're like, and then he dies and you're like, this is awful writing. Like, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough movie. I always think about that. Like actors like Anthony Hopkins and, and Alec Baldwin who are famous for these incredible roles they've done won some awards. And then, like we don't watch like their their non hits, which yeah. would also be another great film festival if you just were let's just like let's watch all of uh, Anthony Hopkins bad films that like have lower than forty percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. So, dude, yeah. if you do that film festival, I want to come to that. Yeah, that sounds incredible for sure. I mean, I would just do an Anthony Hopkins film festival um, for one. <laughs> like, there's some incredible roles in there. Yeah. But, yeah 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 that's amazing man i had to i had to bring it up though because i had to know like as a movie fan like what do you think what are your thoughts on that but yeah you're right most of them are pretty ridiculous but 
but yeah um dude so i wanted to talk to you actually about your book um which about running is this a running podcast this is a running podcast i mean kind of it's kind of running podcast i don't know i don't know man i always try to keep it like this where i it has to be about adventure just in general because if i just focused only on running i wouldn't have made it past like three months i would have just been like you know kind of burned out on it yeah yeah Yeah. and that's what i love about your book oh thanks (laughs) I think it's definitely like a, almost like a, it's, well, how do you say the title of it? First of all, I hate running and you can too. There's like a heart. Except the A is a heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which apparently you can't even type into Amazon to put the title of the book on Amazon. So there's some, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it helps or hurts the book, but. When, when you came up with the title, did you give yourself a high five because that's a genius title you know i made shirts that said i hate running like that that's i'm wearing one at the beginning of um how to run 100 miles so it was kind of done already and i was just like this is exactly my relationship with this you know activity um and you can too seems like one of those like 90s infomercial lines you know uh like i've I lost, you know, 75 pounds on this plan and you can too, you know, climb your own Everest. Um, so I just thought it was, I just thought it was funny. So, um, I don't, we'll see how I feel about it in like 10 years if it's, if it's still that funny, but, um, yeah, that, that's where it came from, you know? And I think like, I would say most people I've only run into a couple people who are like, no, nah, I just love running and they're, they're pro athletes who are paid to run and I'm like, okay, that's what, that's partially, partly what sets you apart from people like me is like, it's like the best part of your day. And to me, it's like, you know, it can be the best part of my day, but a lot of times it's just something I have to do, you know? Um, so yeah. Yeah, man. It's almost like, uh, in a weird way, it's like a self-help book kind of. Oh yeah. My, that's what my mom said too. And I, I would like it to be, more i would like it people to take things from there uh they're in it and apply them to other areas of their life you know or see it as like how do i maintain um you know a good attitude about my job or how you know things like that um because i think i think i approach running a lot like i approach work and um i think there's some some lessons in there too because like you know, people always say things like, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. And I'm always like, that's such bullshit. Like, every, like literally every single job sucks in some way. Um, so I hate work too, with a, with a heart, you know, I enjoy <laughs> it. Could be, I hate anything with that, yeah. you know? I mean, like, even what I do for a job is like, literally I make things, put them out there and hopefully make people's lives better. Like, oh God, how could that be bad? And it's like, I mean, it kind of sucks sometimes. Like the, the part where it gets out there and people like it, it is good, but sometimes people don't like it and sometimes people don't notice it. And, you know, I have an inbox full of emails, the same as everybody else and, and all these other things about my job that suck. And I'm like, no, I actually like about 30, 35% of my job, maybe on a good day. So it's like, it's, it's my relationship with everything besides like pizza and coffee, you know, or things like you really love, you know, like, so yeah, that's kind of where that idea came from, I guess. Yeah, but I I think, and you just hit on it, like, I think the book just hits on like a deeper message there. It's not just about running, but at the same time, I think it's one of the best running books I've ever read because you, you just freaking nailed it. Like, this is exactly what you find through putting yourself through this process, which is oftentimes like painful and kind of miserable <laughs> but also very joyous like you know you get all of it in running i think um what was the name uh billy yang has a film and it's called life in a day and it's about a hundred miler and he's basically the premise is like you experience it all in like one run and i just think like you understand that you know like that's the reason why you go out and do it which is really cool i appreciate you saying that Billy's great. I love his stuff too. Um, oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. It, you, when I, when I looked, 
when I did the research, I read a lot of running books. Um, it's often like how to, which is helpful, you know, which I'm incapable of writing something that's like authoritatively, here's how you should do running and all the stuff that goes into it. And then like memoirs of very successful runners um, who are, that's, I'm also not capable of that, you know, which those are inspiring on a completely different level. But I was like, has anybody just broken this down uh, into like, you know, these little ridiculous things about it. And the only book that's similar and is, was wildly successful, I think, was the Oatmeal's book, The Terrible and Wonderful Reasons Why I Run Long Distances, yeah. um, which is more of a graphic novel and just hilarious, which I own, of course. And I, I think I quoted him in that book. And yeah, and I hate running. Um, but, you know, there's that. And I was like, well, I could do mine, you know, and that, that would be, there's space for that. Um, but yeah, there's always, it's always fun to like kind of research what's out there and read through some stuff and, and go, well, okay, how's mine different? How yeah. could I do something that's just a little different? Um, Are you but, intimidated by that process of like, I'm going to go look at all these other successful books and then somehow mine's, mine has to stand out. Like, is that an intimidating or is that inspiring to you? Um, boy, I don't think it's intimidating. I think I kind of understand that I'm not going to like blow anybody's doors off and have like a New York Times bestseller. Like, you know, I'm not going into the bookstore and going born to run. I should write something like this. That's this <laughs> successful. You know, like you're like, that's not going to happen. You know, that book is so such a watershed moment for running and just like continues to just crush. Like if you look on Amazon running books, I think born to run is probably like number one for like the last 10 years, you know? Um, So I don't, I don't get in there and go. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's like a, like a musician is probably not, probably not going, I need to write the hit of the summer. You know, like I need to do what happened last summer with this song or like I need to be on the top of the charts. They're probably like, I want to make this music that's true to me and maybe it'll be true to other people too. And maybe I'll make a few hundred dollars off of whatever touring Spotify. Maybe it'll reach somebody, you know. Um, But yeah, I don't. Intimidated is like. Yeah, I don't know. There's there's like a million. I think there's a million books published every year new books right so and that includes everything from like textbooks to like you know cookbooks children's books all that stuff so you are just like throwing your stuff out there in a giant sea of stuff which of course is like even harder you know people aren't reading books as much as they are reading their phones or all these other you know we have many many distractions so you're not like believing you're going to take the world by storm is probably a bad, a bad uh, way to look at it. So I don't get intimidated. I get really inspired when I go into bookstores and I'm like, man, okay, I I got a new idea. You know, I can do this or whatever. And then of course the idea as always is the easy part, you know, the execution of it is like the hard part. So what is, what is your like, sit down, I'm going to write a book. Like, what does that look like for you? Is it something where you're like every single day I have to, at this time I'm sitting in the chair and just start going, or is it more like when inspiration hits, I'm going for it. You know, that one was like, um, I had worked with the publisher before and I kind of, it was, it was in the middle of 2019. I was running 52 marathons, basically not, not actual races. Uh, but just marathon length runs. So I would just like some weeks I would just run out the front door of my house and run around city park in Denver until I got to 26.2 miles and others were actual marathon races. Um, and then some were up in the mountains and stuff. So I had a lot of time and in the middle of that, it was like, you know, your relationship with the publisher is always like, okay, what's your next book? So I had this idea and I was like, well, what if I do something about running? And we kind of went back and forth with it and, yeah, if I have a deadline, I will crush the book, you know, but like if I don't, and it's just a thing that I'm doing on my own, it takes years, you know, it'll take forever, ever. But this book is like 12,000 words, 11,000 words. So it's pretty small. It's like, I think there are probably New Yorker articles that are longer than that. Um, But it was like basic things. What do I know? And 
So I just sat down and was like, how does this work with words and with, you know, the illustrations and how could I, how could I show that, you know, um, to people? Um, and what's, what's a funny way of doing that? Like one of the, one of the illustrations is that I think the discussion is about a runner's body. Cause I think like every single one of us looks around and goes, Oh, if I was a real runner, I'd look like that person, you know, probably including those people who look like gazelles, you know? Um, and the, the chart is Usain, it's an outline of Usain Bolt who's arguably has a runner's body and then a grizzly bear who can actually run faster than Usain <laughs> Bolt, you know? People don't think about that when they're in Yellowstone trying to take a selfie with a bison, you know, like, you know what, that thing is like a car that can go from zero to 60 real fast. Uh, but, and it weighs, you know, up to 1800 pounds, that thing is going to crush you, but you don't think of it being fast. You're like, Oh, I'm a human. I can run away from this thing. That's just like a cow with, with long hair. Um, but nobody ever goes, Oh yeah. Grizzly bear, the, you know, the famous runner of, of the animal kingdom, you know, that <laughs> yeah. thing can rip man. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fun to do things like that. And we probably, I think we didn't use like maybe three or four illustrations. And there was the chapter we added, uh, as my editor said, what about setbacks? Like, you know, she's like, I start up and I, I start running for a while and then I get an injury, shin splints or whatever. And then like, how do I deal with that? And I was like, oh, that's a good point. And that, I think that's probably one of the chapters in the book that people have written to me the most about like oh this really helped me this year or whatever and yeah um yeah so dude that's for i have to say this man have you ever been chased by an animal while out on the trail no i mean no i've had like i've had rattlesnakes lunge at me um dude that i did not know were there um <laughs> that's like, even scarier man i've had them hiss at me um and then found out, you know, like running past on Green Mountain, actually, in Lakewood, I've had a rattlesnake, um, like, basically, like, where I heard it go, like, hiss really loudly. And then I turned, as I'm running by, I was like, what's that noise? And then I turned around and looked back, like, 20 feet back and saw the snake, like, sitting basically in the bushes, like, fuck you, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> and then Jason and I were running in Centennial Cone. Um <clears throat> And I was in front of him and I was just talking, talking away, running on like a Saturday morning. And yeah, he saw the snake from on the side of the trail, like actually lunge at my leg as I ran by. And I had no idea it was there. And that place is like rattlesnakes per time I have run there has been like, that's the highest per capita rattlesnake place I've ever been, you know, for me personally. Um, and I've seen a bunch of Green Mountain. I've spooked... I spooked a moose in the Indian peaks a couple times, once a couple times, a couple summers ago, which was terrifying for both me and the moose. Um, but just same, same deal running, just flying, flying down the trail, going downhill. And then all of a sudden you just hear this movement and you're like, Oh my God, there's a giant animal like right there. Um, nothing's ever chased me. I, I did have, yeah. Oh, my buddy and I were um, doing the rim to rim to rim in the grand Canyon. And this is, I think I wrote about this for runner's world or something, but he, we ran down the South. Uh, I think he ran down the bright angel trail. He like did something to his legs. So he just waited at Phantom ranch for me while I ran up to the North rim and back down. hiked, hiked ran, picked him back up. And then he was walking back up the bright angel trail with me. And there's this part where it parallels the river. Um, a few, like maybe a hundred feet above the river for a while. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And we're just walking along and I'm just kind of tired going, Oh, wow. I really got, I got to chug up like 4,500 feet here. This is going to be a big deal. And Mitsu <laughs> is in front of me. And all of a sudden the snake falls off a fucking ledge and bounces off his shoulder. And he just goes, Holy shit. And, like, <laughs> and I don't think it was a rattlesnake. I think it was just a snake and it just like fell off and landed on him and then just like scooted down off the trail. And we both were, were going, what in the fuck just happened? It's crazy. <laughs> and we're like, I'm like, yeah, you okay? I, yeah, we're fine. Okay, keep moving. And uh, like, man, that was wild. And then I, since then, have started to think about it from the snake's perspective. And like, it was the snake was just hanging out up there and was just like, oh, oh shit. And then just like fell off the cliff and was like, 
hit the human and then scooted off the trail. And it was probably like off the side of the trail. Like that was so embarrassing. You know, like (laughs) what just happened? I can't believe I did that. I'm normally so sure footed, you know, without, without having feet, I guess. But uh, but yeah, that's that's my biggest fear. That's my biggest fear ever is a snake falls on me. I saw one up a tree at Beaver Brook, which by the way, every trail you just mentioned, is trails that I go run on. So when you just yeah. said Centennial Cone, I'm like, dude, screw you, man. I was planning on running that this weekend and now I'm going to just cry the whole time. <laughs> I think it's the morning, right? They're, um, I think they come out to sun themselves in the yeah. morning when it's cool. Well, maybe not so much in this heat of the summer. But, but like, I think like early in the morning they come out yeah. And that's when they're that's, active. And then during the super hot 90 degrees, they're like hiding. Yeah. And the Green Mountain one was in the late late afternoon, which was bizarre for me. But um, yeah, it was, it was like a couple summers ago, there was like a, I just remember them referring to something like a ball of rattlesnakes on North Table Mountain that they closed the trail over the top. And it was like, they were like, this, it was like this, basically an orgy of rattlesnakes, like breeding up there. It was like, oh my god you know like this is like horror movie material um we saw two of them on their mating and they're like they're right in the middle of the trail the sun is right behind them so i'm shocked that we even saw them we could have just ran right onto them basically and they're like coming off the ground like i don't know what's going on dude i don't know how kinky it gets but like they're off of the ground like two feet off the ground it's like and, the medical logo where they like, <laughs> yes, you know, that's exactly this, uh, for, is that for penicillin or something? Whatever yeah, anyway. it's for, it's two snakes mating. They don't tell you that yeah. with the yeah. logo. <laughs> it was horrifying, man. It was so scary. But I, I got, uh, I, I ran into a moose a couple weekends ago in Steamboat, and it slowly jogged at me, and nothing has ever been so scary. Like oh, I yeah. looked, I it was just eating. So you just. I'm going by and I don't even notice it because it's so, so many trees there and it just raises its head up and it's like six feet from me. And I'm like, Oh shit. And I slowly back down the trail and then it walks onto the trail and starts jog, like not sprinting, but it was jogging. Yeah. And I was like, and the switchback would have taken me right by it again. So I'm like, I gotta, I just jumped down the mountain basically. There's a Bill Bryson quote. I think it's from, I forget what book it is, but he says like, you know, hunters will tell you or some, that a moose is like this majestic animal, blah, 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 nonsense. A moose is a cow drawn by a four-year-old. And I always think of that when I see moose, I'm like, yeah, that's right, man. But they're like, people don't know. They think it's like this big goofy animal. And I'm like, if that thing gets started, it will be like getting run over by I think like a Harley Davidson motorcycle with a 300 pound person on it, you know, like that's what it will feel like. Like, yeah. don't even fuck with that thing. You don't know, mess with the moose, man. Yeah. yeah I almost ran into a cow uh, at Matthew's winters park one day too. Like an actual like, cow. Yeah. Like, well, um, okay. Can we talk about this? Because I see people like there's cows all over the place out here. People yeah. are taking pictures with them and stuff, but you and I are from Iowa I'm like, dude, the only animal in Iowa that can kill you is cows. And it happens all the time. So I'm avoiding the cows. Yeah, I always, I always think about when people take photos of deer in like national parks, when like coming from Iowa, you're like, wait, that's not even exotic. That's just like something that someone in your family has hit with a car at some point, you know? <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. But yeah, no, I was there and um yeah, it was like, uh, I don't know how to describe it. There's a spot at the bottom of a gully. If you run out of the, what is it, the west or the the north parking lot, like a mile in there and then the two trails split and you go yeah. up. So it was like, just as you turn around the corner to start heading towards that intersection, this cow just comes straight at me on the trail. I'm like, what in the fuck? You know, like... <laughs> why is there a cow here? And I just jumped off the trail, let the cow go. And there must be like some sort of little ranch or something there that somebody has cows and it had gotten out or something like that. But I'd finished my run as I was coming back. There was a ranger coming down to like, I guess, deal with the cow at some point in some way, like lead it back to his house. But yeah, dude, that'd be ever, embarrassing. 
have you ever interviewed like a park ranger and just asked them about the crazy like they wake up in the morning they're like what am i dealing with today oh apparently a cow got out all right here we go i haven't um i, did, I took an avalanche class with a guy who was a ranger at rocky mountain national park one time and that was pretty that was pretty fun we didn't chat a but a ton i just remember he was not a fan of the boy scouts um but that's that's the only thing he didn't have any great stories from what does that even mean uh he literally said we refer to them as the destroy scouts because of their siege-like camping tactics and it was like and i said like what do you mean siege-like camping tactics and he said well they like dig trenches around their tents and do all this stuff you know and i just think it's like maybe you know a handful of like really old school people who probably tore up some campsites that he was referring to but yeah, I don't know. He was, he was not a fan. So, I mean, whatever. I wasn't, I wasn't a Boy Scout. So, I don't know. I can't speak to the the curriculum. But uh, the digging trenches like is nature. probably. Yes, <laughs> digging trenches is not necessary, you know. They, so. were, they were catapulting like flaming rocks over at people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just made it, he made it sound like it was like 1950s, like digging out it, like building a campsite that you were going to stay in for like, a month you know as opposed to like what you should do in a national park which is like not leave a trace at all so yeah yeah that's wild let me ask you real quick about this because um i want to hear like what have you discovered through running that has been different through something like rock climbing um because i know i i read your book 60 meters to anywhere which was fantastic um and i know that was kind of it's a cool it's a really cool book because it's about like discovering adventure like that moment you're discovering it and how it changes the path of your life which was awesome um but i was just curious like rock climbing versus running are there are they kind of like parts like the lessons you learned are they kind of kind of very similar or are they different in each sport yeah it's funny i think about them as like what do i what did i need at that time in my life you know and i guess as a young like in your 20s and early thirties, it's like, I don't know how much of this is due to the amount of testosterone that's in your body as a young man, but like that sort of behavior where you're like risking, you know, you can, you can die a lot of different ways in rock climbing pretty much every time you go out. Um, most people don't, but like there are just little mistakes you can make that can really mess you up. Um, and you know actually kill you even when you're on a day of like chill sport climbing um and i got in a lot of situations where i really had to push through fear and i don't know that i handled it well i always got through it but um it wasn't like okay now i had to know how to deal with fear it was like okay survive that that's fine you know like you survived a car crash the car is totaled but i'm okay um yeah and running i think i was you know, a lot of things happened, um, between when I kind of was, yeah, from when I discovered climbing to when I started doing ultra running, like we, I got a smartphone, you know, like the world changed and became a very polarized place where people are, there's a lot of negativity out there on the internet, like the internet changed, you know, um, the way I was writing and things that were, being published in outdoor media were, were changing, you know? So running for me came along at a time where I really needed stillness in my life in some way. Um, and so what it's turned into for me is the one thing I do during the week where I cannot be interrupted by something digital or somebody leaving an awful comment or sending me an email that's like, causes me to have to do, you know, I, I take my phone on long runs to navigate and to take photos, but I don't listen to anything. I do not, I don't take in any media, you know, for the hour or two hours or six hours or whatever that I'm out there. Um, so it's become this thing where I just, this is where I go to think. Um, so I go romp around in the mountains and I don't do a lot of times I have ideas for things that I should write about or things I should draw or whatever but a lot of times I don't do shit. I just zone out and I'm just like, and it's, it's incredible. And I needed that since 
you know, I got a phone, I got an iPhone in 2011. So I've had an iPhone for 10 years and I think of what that's done to my brain. And uh, somebody asked me in an interview, like, what do you listen to when you're running, like to get inspired? And I'm like, I don't listen to shit. I never have. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, I didn't say that, but um, I listened to like, I was training for a marathon in 2006 and I thought, oh my God, I've never run 20 miles before. I'm going to listen to some music to try to help pass the time because it's so tedious. And I was listening to Fela Kuti albums and I was just like in the middle of it, I was like, this is just going to make me hate Fela Kuti, like, which I do not want, you know, because I'm going to be so sick of it and I'm going to associate it with this awful memory of like dragging my ass around Washington Park. Um, so I didn't listen to music after that. And even when I biked across America, my buddy had a speaker on his uh, bike and I was like, that will make me hate all my music. And you own like one tenth of the music I do. So you're going to listen to the same song like <laughs> 60, 70 times on that bike. And I was just like, so I would give myself little doses of it in the morning, listen to headphones. Then when I got home, you know, get to like the hotel or the campsite and I would listen to a little bit of music, but like eight hours of your own music for no way, man. Like it's just going to ruin it. So I guess running came along at a time for me. It was just like um, endurance was a thing and being able to handle something for two, three, six, eight, twenty 20 hours, you know, it was like, this is something that's interesting to me. Um, and that like the fact that what I found to be, uh, what was really interesting to me is showing up at an ultra marathon and looking around and seeing who else is there. Cause you don't know, you just see like the people who win Western States or the famous races. And then you get there and you're like, Oh my God, we don't all, almost nobody looks like that. We're all just like these people with desk jobs and families and like, and you look around and you, if you were, you know, a little bit arrogant or just like judging people, you might look around and go, well, that person's probably not going to finish. Well, that person's not either. And then those people fucking stomp you. you like, pass you in the middle. Yeah. Dude, that happened to me on my first 50 miler. I'm like, sure. Oh, I'm going to beat that guy for sure. Like 40 miles in, he's running by me. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. this was a good lesson for my ego right now. <laughs> we had, so I, we did all this, we had all this footage of the run rabbit run the year we did it. And um, it's interesting because I was going through all the footage looking for stuff and I would see other people run by and I would like, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember seeing that person. I wonder if they, how they did, you know? And, you know, we, we were like almost dead last. So almost everybody who finished, finished ahead of us. But there was a guy who, in my memory, he was wearing like black shorts, maybe with pockets in them. And he looked like he was in his late fifties, maybe or mid to late fifties, or early sixties. And all he had was one water bottle in his hand. It was just shorts, race number, water bottle, no hat, no vest, no nothing, no poles, no anything. And I just saw this guy and I was like, there's no way this guy has any idea what he's doing. He's like, is he lost out here? Is he just hiking by himself? No, he has a race number on. Okay. And I have looked him like he came through our video footage and I was like, Oh, how did that guy do? Of course he finished like, several hours ahead of us and he had come from like Arkansas or something and I was like oh my god and I told Jason about it and I go you remember that guy you remember seeing that guy on the race course and he goes oh yeah somebody at one of the aid stations like commented on him and said like oh this guy's screwed he's never gonna make it and someone else at the aid station said oh no he's done a ton of these races this is his jam this is like his style and you look at this guy and you think, oh, there's probably no way. And sure enough, he like, you know, he probably crushes out like several of these a year. And you don't know, man. And then like watching, you know, we have these extended shots of the starting line and you see all these people up front and you're like, so in that race, of course, it's, um, there's like basically the amateur division and then the pros or the elite people start two hours later. So I was like, where'd all these people at the front of the, pack that I can see all their numbers how did they do and it was like a lot of them dropped or only made it to mile 35 or or whatever I'm like oh okay like it literally doesn't matter where you start the race in a race that long but like those are the people who are chart there's I remember a couple people specifically charging out of the gate and I was like 
they must have they must have done well. And one of the people I was like, oh my God, they quit like very, very early. Like yeah. maybe they overheated or whatever, but you, it just teaches you to not judge a book by its cover whatsoever. Even in this thing that you think is like, would give someone the body of an Olympic athlete, you know, like, oh, you run a hundred miles. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, you must look like, you know, an Olympic distance runner. Like, like no, not I'm, at all. I'm fueling on Cheetos though. Yeah, I don't tell you that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you could pull, you could pull a good section of people, including myself out of the starting line of, or a finish line of a, of an ultra marathon, put us in softball uniforms and people will be like, yeah, that looks right. You know, like <laughs> these people are just like the Wednesday night beer ball league, you know, <laughs> you know, so yeah. Dude, but that's what I love about the sport though. Like yeah, it's, it's totally. so, it's such like a mental game and yeah. the, and that's what I love about doing this podcast too, is just like the mental adventures that people go through in their own heads during a race is just fascinating to me. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's wild, man. Well, dude, I'm trying to think what else I wanted to ask you real quick. Um, was there, okay, I guess just to wrap up, w- running up and down Green Mountain a billion times, however many times you did it, you wrote this blog post about just going up and down this hill. And I turned to my wife geeking out and I'm like, I know that hill. I'm like, that's the hill. And, uh, but I have to say like, were you just trying to torture yourself? Like, what was, <laughs> what were you doing? So I don't, I mean, I don't have a, I've never hired a coach to do anything because I just don't really have goals. You know, yeah. it's more like, oh, I get this race. And I thought about it because I have friends who are coaches and I'm like, well, I should give them some business. And I'm like, they would be so disappointed, you know, like, <laughs> like so what do you want to do this year? I'm like, well, I don't know. You know, um, so I signed up, I was supposed to pace a buddy in the Hellbender 100 in North Carolina in April. And he, and I had like, scheduled some stuff around it i was like yeah my wife's gonna come um i'm gonna meet my dad in atlanta to watch a baseball game like the week after or the yeah a few days after the race i got this airbnb and then like a few weeks ahead of the race he was like man i you know i got injured i can't do it and he's like i don't know if you want to come down anyway i mean i'm not really you know we don't really have any plans and i was like half jokingly said, now maybe I'll just take your spot. And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? Um, so I had to, so in my mind, this is how I train for that race. It's like, it is a hundred miles and 24,000 feet of elevation gain. So I thought in order to feel confident about doing that, I should at least try to do 50 miles with 12,000 feet of elevation gain. Like that should be a training day for me. So that was what I was shooting for. And in February and March in oh, yeah. Colorado, it's pretty difficult to find a trail that's, you know, that's snow free, but the road at Green Mountain is always <laughs> like fine. You know, even if there's snow up there, you don't feel bad about like, they drive cars on it. It's like your feet aren't going to do that much damage to, yeah. to a muddy road. And this is what, you know, you if you run there in the winter, you see people hiking it all winter doing like fat biking and it's okay you can put a rut in that road it'll be fine so i was like well i guess this is what i'm gonna do so i just like created you know i was like i'm gonna go to the summit of the peak and then on alternate you know i'll go up and down to the summit from the back parking lot there the what is that the the west parking lot yeah yeah and then you know, I'll alternate that with going all the way to the, like those radio towers and back. <laughs> and it was awful, dude. But like, <clears throat> you know, I mean, if you're not, if you can't handle monotony, you're probably in the wrong sport. So it was like, so yeah, I just ground it out. And I can't remember how many laps I did, but it, to get to 12,000 feet, it was probably something like 20, 18 or 20, maybe. Jeez, I don't know. Man. I have to look at the Strava, but it's like, yeah, this is what we do. You know, I, the hill itself is only about 800 feet vertical or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so it's like a yeah. mile and you get 800 feet. It's, it's yeah. fairly steep though. Like I've tried to run it and I think I made it like halfway. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Just walking this last bit. That's the thing you don't, you underestimate is the grade of the road because there's yeah. no switchbacks on it. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, at a certain point it is super steep and I have run to the top before i don't think it is sustainable for a training run for me nor is it fun you know 
So, but you see elk up there a lot off yeah, of that road. Cool. And there's some guy, I always used to see him in like a Broncos jersey. In my mind, he has like the hand crutches. And yes. he just he just hauls ass up there and he just loves chatting with people and uh, can tell you a little bit about all the animals he's seen on that, you know. I've seen I've heard coyotes howl around there. Like I think they take down animals and then party. Like, you know, it's the the sun will go down and it's just like just gotten dark and you are like hearing this like blood curdling coyote party and you're like, oh God, they never <laughs> attack humans, do they? But I've been up there in the middle of the night, like midnight, just it's so cool to run up that mount that road like at night and you're in the dark for so long, then you pop out and the entire city is yeah. in front of you, all the lights, you know. So dude, and yeah. I try to tell people about that too, because I'm like, it's the weirdest experience because you're up there, or for me it's North Table because it's a little bit closer. Yeah. But I'm like, you're up there basically by yourself. Like you're looking around, and you're like, I don't see anybody. It's just me. And then there's like a giant city right there. And you're like, whoa, there's like a bunch of people there. No one here. It's just a that's, weird trippy feeling. <laughs> that's how you get it to yourself, man. Yeah. There's a, there's a mountain in Phoenix, Camelback Mountain, which is probably the most popular hike in Phoenix. But yeah. it's like, it's a solid, like, I want to say 1,200 feet of elevation gain. But it's right out of the middle of the city. And imagining having the summit to yourself nowadays would be impossible, but... Um, in the eighties, there's this author, J.R. Moringer, who I think maybe even lives in Denver now or did, but he, uh, he ended up ghostwriting Andre Agassi's biography and Phil Knight's or Andre Agassi's memoir and Phil Knight's memoir. But he had this memoir called the tender bar. And in the eighties, he lost his virginity on top of Camelback mountain, like, which is bananas. Like they hiked up there and, um, the girl he was with was like, like they're kind of getting into it. This is probably a family friendly podcast, but he's like, yeah, whatever. Go for it. She's like, do you have protection? He's like, Oh, I don't. She's like, well, you better go get some. And he goes down the mountain (laughs) and finds a convenience store or whatever that's open at that time and goes back up and they, yeah, but it's bananas that that would actually ever happen. And but. he became the first ultra runner. I don't know. This yes. is a historical yeah. podcast. Yes. Just <laughs> to bring it back. Full, Why would you run a hundred miles? Well, yeah. uh, <laughs> I had to go get protection. <laughs> I think that's like a four or five mile hike, but yeah, man, it's bananas. And I've been up there by myself at like five in the morning once, but that's, that's it. it's illegal to park in the parking lot when it's dark so it's pretty impossible to get you have to like bike up there anyway it's like one of those things that you think about where (laughs) the whole city spread out like wow that's an incredible story you know most people are like where'd you lose your virginity oh in the back of a honda civic or whatever you know it's like (laughs) me camelback mountain obviously you know obviously yeah like look at that mountain (laughs) yeah yeah awesome awesome well brendan thank you for coming on man where uh i i mean i would highly suggest like everyone read the book. I hate running and you can too. It's just great about like achieving any goal and how hard it is and why you, what you get out of it when you just keep going and you just keep being consistent. Um, and then obviously semi-rad, like all your drawings, dude, I didn't even tell you, I'll tell you this really quick. I have them up in my classroom and I just always think this is fascinating from like an artist's perspective, right? Like you make something probably just because you're like, Oh, it's a great idea. Like I want to get this idea out and put it out there, but you probably don't really think about the ripple effects that it has. Um, but I have your anxiety thing in my classroom, right? Okay. The, the, the circle pie graph. Yeah. It's just, it's so perfect, man. It just describes it so perfectly. And I'm teaching 13 year olds who are just little balls of anxiety, you know, everybody is right. I'm yeah. like, go back, look at the picture. <laughs> That's what I do. I that send them back me. there. <laughs> um, can I send you one of these for your classroom? It's this like Howard Zinn quote about. Ooh. Um, Dude, I kind of would... gave. Okay. Yeah. I would yeah. Just send me, send me your address. I gave them away to a bunch of folks on the who are my Patreon supporters, but uh, I still have seven left. So I'll drop one in the mail to you for the classroom. I would love that, man. I, yeah. and I send them back there just to look at it though. I'm like, just look at this. Doesn't this make sense? It's talking about thinking about it versus like how bad it actually is. It's never that bad. Yeah. 
No, you hope that happens, but you don't, you don't really know. Like occasionally people will write you yeah, and tell you, but like, you just don't, you have no idea most of the time. And yeah, I mean, all I can see is like, did someone buy the t-shirt or the, <laughs> the coffee mug with the anxiety thing on it or the print and like people have a limited space for prints in their lives, you know, like most people don't have a workspace, like a classroom to like put stuff up on the walls. Yeah. It's more like, well, if we buy that print, we have to take down that photo of your parents at, you know, the Grand Canyon. So it's like, I'm going to say it right now, dude, go to semirad.com, buy the print, replace <laughs> the photo of your parents at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> like that's fine. We get it. But the picture of the Grand Canyon can't capture it anyways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Put the prints up. For sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a fun thing, but yeah, you don't, you have no idea. And then like, even with books, you don't know that, you know, like I read this statistic that I never corroborate, but it's like something like it's a high percentage of books that are given as gifts, which you don't know if people are reading it. So yeah. all you know is if people are buying it, yeah. um, you want them to read it, but like, yeah, I guess just buying it is okay too. But so yeah. then the one copy that somebody buys is that get passed around to like five different people. You don't know that either. So that's true. Yeah, man. It's real weird. It's like, you don't have metrics. So yeah, that's, you just hope. That's fascinating. I mean, even doing this podcast, I'm like, honestly, at the end of the day, I'm doing it for me. Cause I want to have like a fun conversation with Brendan and, yeah. but then I put it out there and then I'm like, I don't know if people enjoyed it. If they listen, like sometimes people send me emails, but it is yeah. just funny because you almost have to do it that way. You have to do it for your own fulfillment, I guess. Yeah. And podcasts are interesting because you can't see, well, you can probably see the metrics, but like to give you input on a podcast, I would have to do so much work with my thumb on my phone to be like, okay, yeah, where's the actual website? Where's his email address? It's not like you can just tap and comment or send somebody a message from like iTunes or Spotify or whatever. So it's like, it kind of doesn't give you that sort of community unless you put your podcast on YouTube and then you can get YouTube comments, which are the fucking basement of civilization. Dude, like, don't YouTube comment. I cried once <laughs> on a YouTube comment because awful. no, because it was sweet. It was weird. Oh, okay. I was watching okay. the music video for harvest moon by Neil oh, Young. Okay. Okay. And the music video was so cheesy. I'm like, I can't watch. I like the song. Can't watch the video. So I scrolled down and it was, someone was writing about like, you know, how meaningful it was to their brother who passed away. And then people underneath were commenting nice things. And then I started crying. I'm like, why am I crying right now? I gotta <laughs> read this now. Yeah. But mostly it's like Dave 6547 yeah. talking shit about you and like, yeah. Yeah. The the best one I've ever gotten was on our film, the REI film, How to Run 100 Miles. And it's like, that's been the most successful thing I've ever done. And that, if I read the comments on that, they're like almost to a T, just like positive and really excited about it. But there was one that came up just a few weeks ago and it was just this guy going, I'll never shop at REI again. And that was it. I'm like, why? Why, Dave? that is awesome i screenshotted it i'm like this is fucking great <laughs> i don't know what happened in this film but okay man fuck it yeah burn the boats you know we're done <laughs> dude that's uh, incredible man well yeah. thank you for coming on dude i don't want to take a yeah. long time so no thanks for having me what a blast awesome man i'd love to talk with you again at some point for sure all right, ladies and gents, uh, that wraps up this week's episode. Thank you so much, Brendan. Um, it was a real pleasure. Uh, I showed him after the episode. I have a periodic table of elements of adventure chart that he wrote uh, in my office. I was like, I didn't want to pander too much during the show. In fact, in my notes, I had written down uh, at the very top um, of like the outline of the interview. I wrote, don't be Chris Farley, uh, if you remember the genius saturday night live segments where chris farley was interviewing um and he'd be interviewing like paul mccartney and you know things people who were he's huge fans of and he's like remember when you you made that song you remember when you wrote let it be that was awesome and uh maybe i should just have that in my office just don't a big don't be chris farley sign um 
because there's always that fear when you're interviewing someone who whose work you really enjoy that you're just gonna be like dude remember when you wrote that thing that was awesome um <laughs> so anyways uh but huge thanks to brendan check out semi rad um if you have instagram follow him on instagram because that's where he's putting up his uh his drawings um once a day or a few times a week and they're they're always hilarious and awesome and a lot of times they like just they just nail it um like i said i have a few of them hanging up in my classroom uh, there's another one that just says the way things have always been done and it's like a straight line where no progress is being made and then um trying something new and the new one's going up and down all crazy but ultimately progress is being made um and it's just these constant like visual reminders for me to, uh about how to be successful at a goal and at a big project um because you can get worn down and i'm you know we're a week and a half out from uh going out and filming desert rats and yeah it takes a lot of work there's a lot of steps um uh, that have to be done for a huge project and that's something i'm learning and something i'm applying from doing ultra runs and doing trail runs and being consistent with training and now trying to apply it in a different aspect has been really, really interesting. So, so yeah, uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I'm going to go cry about all the snake talk snakes, terrifying. Um, I hate snakes jock. Uh, but yeah, dude, I'm like now every step I take, I'm just going to be imagining a, a, a rattlesnake lunging at me. My mom is listening to this right now and she's just like, please, dear Lord. No, my mom might be more scared of snakes than I am. I think, um, when we lived in Virginia, we had this like entryway to the basement, uh, that was like on the outside of our house. And, the whole time we lived there for three years, my mom's like, you're going to get snakes in the basement. Cause our backyard was just this like overgrown jungle basically. And I can't remember what the vine is. There's some vine in Virginia. That's like an invasive species. And it just like overtook the whole entire yard and we were renting the house. So we're kind of like, I mean, you know, it was like this when we found it, one of those situations. Um, and the whole time my mom's like, you're going to get snakes in this basement. And I'm like, mom, what do you mean? Like I was, sometimes I get total teenager with my mom. So if you're listening right now, mom, I apologize. I'm a 30 year old man, uh, 34 year old man, but I still have that tendency sometimes. So I was like, mom, no, we won't. <laughs> um, and then the very last night we lived there, uh, we're like everything's in boxes we're moving out my daughter's two and a half and she's upstairs thank god um because we opened this little entryway and at our cat's food bowl there is a copperhead like a tiny copperhead it wasn't huge but it was a copperhead and they're venomous and it was just sitting there eating the food out of my cat's food bowl and my cat is just hanging out right next to it just chilling next to a copperhead i'm like what is happening cat get away so i like go and snatch the cat real quick run into the kitchen and i slam that door and we like just shoved like blankets and stuff under this door just trying to trap the snake and i'm like what do i do and my wife's like i don't know i'm like i don't know either what do you do and like in retrospect i'm like I'm sure like manly dudes would like just get that snake out of there somehow, you know, like I'm sure they would just be like, Hey, I gotta like this snake has to leave. I'm the man of the house. Like I'm no one else is doing this for me. Right. That was not the choice I chose. I called this one of our friends who lived in the neighborhood. Uh, and he answered, I'm like, Hey man, there's a snake in my basement. What do I do? And he must not have had my cell phone number because he's like, who is this? And I'm like, oh, it's Chris. There's a copperhead. I don't know what to do right now. And he's like, well, I mean, like you could <laughs> in his head, he was probably like, you could probably handle it yourself like a grown ass man. And I was like, no, man, 
I can't. I'm terrified of snakes. I'm going to faint or something trying to get it. Um, so he's like, I don't know, call like animal control. So I'm like, okay. So I dial up animal control in Danville, Virginia, and it's like nine 30 at night. So animal control is not there. Like they don't, they're not 24 seven. If you're someone who doesn't know this, like animal control, at least in Danville, Virginia, not 24 seven. It's not one of those gigs. So they're like, well, we can send someone over to, <laughs> to help you. I'm sure the dudes in the station were just like, all right. And they're just like, who is this guy? Um, and so they send a cop over and he comes in. He's just like, hey, like I heard you have a snake in your basement. I'm like, yeah, dude. Like I have a two-year-old. Like, I don't know. We're kind of terrified. Like we're all packed up, ready to move. But we have to go down there to get like a load out of the laundry, out of the dryer. So he's like, okay. And then I was like looking at him like, well, what, like, what's the plan? <laughs> what's the plan of attack here? And he's just like, I'm not going down there. He's like, I don't like snakes either. And I'm like, oh, and he's like, I'll give you my flashlight, but I'm going to hang out up here. I'm like, okay. Cause we opened the door. The snake's not there anymore. Of course. Like this is like a half an hour later. And so he gives me his like giant, like badass cop flashlight. And so I walk down there and it's like a horror movie basement. Like there's just spider webs and like, there was a bunch of boxes down there that I'm like, yeah, we're leaving all these boxes down here. There's no way I'm coming back down and sifting through boxes when I just saw a copperhead and I go, I grab our laundry really quick and I sprint upstairs and I close that door and never went down there again. So that snake to this day has set up a permanent, permanent residence down there I bet just hanging out but but yeah not a fan of snakes kind of terrified of them uh all right and that wraps up the episode this week uh like I said check out I hate running and you can too you're gonna love it it's an amazing book I read it in one day uh I'm rereading it right now I'm like halfway through it is a quick read but it nails it like brendan gets it he gets what we find from running and ultra running and and just taking on this weird sport that that you know you always hear all the time where people are like i only would run if i'm being chased by something and you're like i go out and run every morning at five in the morning for fun um and it kind of hits on like why why would you do that what do you find from it so uh, all right guys that wraps it up We'll get back at you next week.